Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. We're working through this letter in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians. If you've got a Bible with you, um, the the text will come up on the screen in a moment. We are in chapter 3, and we're going to be looking from verse 6 in a moment. But just a a bit of context for those of you, maybe you've just joined us for today for the first time and um, you're not familiar. It's not one of the most famous books in the Bible. Books, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, more well known. Romans, Thessalonians is a small, it's a small letter, and is written to the church in Thessalonica from the Apostle Paul, who was in Athens, and um, he's writing to them from Athens because they had to, he he with the those who were working with him had to flee from Thessalonica because they'd preached the gospel. People had become converted to the faith, and as a result, there was a huge uproar. In the city, people didn't like it. There was envy, there was opposition, and they had to flee. And then, really, this is one of the most well. It's a letter where you will find the Apostle Paul uh, a window into how he carries the churches in his heart. Perhaps you know as much as any other letter uh, that you will find. It's an unusual letter. Uh, by the end of today's sermon, we would have preached three out of the five chapters, and we've not really got near any doctrine yet. That's unusual. Because this man was a huge intellect. If you think about books like Romans and Ephesians, sublime doctrinal treaties. Thess- 1 Thessalonians completely different. Um, we, there's obviously the spiritual truth weaved all the way through, but there's been no real teaching yet. It's all been about his, his Timothy and Silas's relationship with them as a church. And it's just full of overflowing affection, uh, longing, um, relational kind of uh, anxiety, worry about them. It's a very unusual letter. Um, but I think it gives us the most extraordinary insight, perhaps to a side of Christianity that maybe some of us are not as familiar with as things like doctrine. Doctrine matters. What you believe really matters. What you believe determines how your conscience is kind of uh, uh, built and directed. It, what, what, what you believe impacts your values. Therefore, that means what you believe impacts how you live. So it's huge what you believe. And, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son so, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So who you believe in can impact your, will impact your eternal destiny. So what you believe Matters so, and, and Christians, I'm sure, are known throughout the world for really caring about what people believe, because we so much as as, as I've already said. But I don't know how well Christians are known for their for the power and the richness and the strength of their relationships with one another. And that's huge, because Jesus said to his disciples, "By the way you love one another, the whole world will 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 know whether or not you know." I, I, I really came, I really am. The authenticity of the faith, in some part, hangs on the quality of our love for one another. So our relationships with one another, how we interact spiritually as Christians, what that looks like, is a huge testimony to the world and also has a massive impact on your experience of Christianity. See, I, I, came, I became a Christian when I was 18. Uh, my mum was a believer my dad isn't, but you know they were divorced from when I was very young. So I was brought up in a home with brought up with my mum. Who, who so we would go to church, but around the age of sixteen I stopped going to church. Um, 
Not because I didn't believe the gospel, but I just wasn't sure if it was true or not. Either way, even if it was, I didn't think I could do it, if that makes sense. I didn't think I could live a Christian life. And so I decided not to and really just went on and did, did my own thing for a couple of years. Jesus in his mercy saved me. Uh, and, um, and, and, and then the most, in some ways, undramatic but powerful thing happened in my life after getting saved is that I, was, I joined a church. And these were people who were mostly middle class. I was from a working class background. Sometimes people would laugh when I spoke, not out of meanness. They just never heard someone who said water and not water. <laughs> it was new to them. And the way that I carried myself was, was, was working class, very different from the majority of the congregation. They weren't my people, but they were my people. And it, it took a lot of getting used to. My people lived on my estate and we knew what we did and we knew how we related. This was very different from that. And so even though it was a bit awkward and a bit uncomfortable, I soon began to realize that these people really loved me. They really loved me. They really cared about me, really loved me, really wanted the best for me and were willing to invest in me. And it was life changing. I mean, it's absolutely life changing. They became my people. God's people. And so other, other things that could have kept us apart, you know, however you want to phrase it, class or whatever word you want to use, that could have kept us apart, could have been a lot of misunderstandings and stuff. Actually, we found each other in Jesus. There were a lot of things we didn't have in common, but we had him in common. And they would open their homes and it was beautiful. It's a really powerful thing. And you get, you get, you, you get, it's almost like what I experienced, but concentrated, really, in Thessalonians. The, the, the passion, the longing, the connection. It's a beautiful thing, and I want us to really think about it um, today. And I'd love us to end with, like I say, as I preach through some of this stuff today that's in here, I'd love, want you to think about how you've been impacted by God's people, how you've been impacted by the church, and to just share some short testimonies at the end. And then I want us to do, a, 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 do something by way of a prayer that I believe is going to really help and strengthen certain people in the room today. I want to use this passage that we're going to read in a moment to answer the question, why do we do what we do? Have you ever wondered that? <laughs> why do we do what we do? You know, it's always fun when you do an action song and you see someone who's new who walks in. <laughs> you think, what have I walked into? Where's the exit? How long is it going to last? Do they lock the doors? Why do, why do, we, why do we do what we do? Um, it's a really important question to us. I love the why question. If you've got kids or nieces and nephews or if you work with youngsters, you'll know that many youngsters go through the why stage. The why stage is, is whatever you say, they say why. So you might be going somewhere with your kid, you go, oh, I love you, and they go, why? And you go, well, uh, well, because I'm your dad. Why? Uh, well, that's, that's, for a little, that's for when you're older. Why? Well, because when you're older, you, your, your, brain will, your, your brain will be more developed. Why? And it literally just goes on and on and on. I mean, and in the end, you've got to say, stop saying why. You know, it kill the curiosity. Bad move. But uh, it just it gets too much. But there's, a, there's power in the question why, because if you never stop asking why, because why gets you to the thing? 
What? Ah, okay, it makes sense now. If you stop asking why, you can find yourself doing things. You don't know why you're doing them. And then after a while, it begins to feel meaningless. It's a bit like, I'm sure you probably all, many of you would have heard the story of the family at Christmas time. Whenever they did their turkey, they would cut off the legs and put the legs on top of the turkey, you know, and put it in. And, uh, and you know, one of the younger people in the family said, why? Do, why? <laughs> why do we do that? And the mum or the dad or whoever did it answered, well, you know, we, we've always done it. Well, that's what you do with, when you do the turkey for Christmas. We've always done it that way. Yeah, but why? So it got them thinking. So they went back and they asked their mum and dad, well, well, we've always done it. Yeah, but why? Well, I'll ask my mum or dad, you know. So it, eventually the news comes back that when it started, back in the day, it was a very narrow oven. <laughs> All right? So the turkey wouldn't fit in. So you had to cut off the wings on the side and put them on top so it fits in. But it became a tradition. No one knew why it did it anymore. And in fact, there was no need to do it anymore. And the why gets, the why gets to the thing. And I want to use today's passage to answer this question. Why do we do what we do? We've got a fourfold vision as a church. We believe God's called us to be an army of 300 big people. Why? We're all right as we are. I don't want to get any bigger. I won't know everyone. Why? Some of you might think like that. We believe God's put on a heart to, to plant churches around North London, postcode by postcode. Why? What are we doing that for? My friends might go. Don't do that. You've got to know why. Otherwise, it can just be a scary thing. Something you think, oh, you know, we believe God's called us as a church to be a blessing to the wider body of Christ. But why? We've got enough trouble keeping our, keeping our own selves happy and healthy. Do you know what it's like living in London, the pressure? We can't be thinking about other churches. Why would we do that? I believe God's put in our hearts to plant churches around the cities of the world. Well, why? It costs a lot of money to travel around cities in the world and to, and to pay for mission. You see, it's important that we ask the why question, otherwise you can disengage. We're part of a wider family of churches called Relational Mission. I hear you ask, <laughs> You're getting the hang of it. Why? Our mission statement as a family of churches is to, is to plant and strengthen churches to the end of the earth. But why? We give 10% of our income to that wider family of churches. For goodness sake. We're two or three K down a month ourselves locally. Why are we doing that? It's madness. You've got to know why. I don't know why. This text today gives us, gives us the sense of it. So let's read together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 to the end of the chapter. And I remember what had happened was that we're in the middle of this discourse where Paul's saying to them, you know, we were torn away from you because we were persecuted and we were we were really worried about you. We were really concerned because of the afflictions you were going through. That you were going to lose heart. That this love for Jesus you found was going, to, was going to blow away in the wind. The winds of persecution and difficulty. And we, when we got to the point we couldn't bear it any longer, we sent Timothy back. We sent, we sent our best guy to see how you're doing because we were afraid that the tempter would have got to you. And that's where we got to last week. And then verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. And reported that you always remember us kindly. 
and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your words. I do pray, just help us, help us to get to the heart of things in this time. As we ask this question, why? Why do we do what we do? Why are we, why are we spending our time doing this? Why are we spending our money doing this? Why are we giving our hearts to this? Why? I pray, Lord, that as, as your children, and we would almost be before you in the scripture saying, but why? I pray you speak to us. And I pray you'd establish our hearts and our faith. I pray you'd strengthen us and reassure us. And it would motivate and mobilize us into the things of your kingdom, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to feel the passion and the authenticity of the early church. It's so inspiring, isn't it? The, the, the sense of togetherness, the sense of heartfelt heart connection to what God is doing. In a nutshell, Paul is mostly concerned about their faith and their love. That's really what he's concerned about in this passage. That's the, that's the thing that he's really excited about. Timothy has come to us from you. He's brought us the good news. Remember when Tom, Tom touched on this and he was here the other week preaching, that word there, good news, gospel, same word. He's brought us the glad tidings. It's the same word for the gospel. Paul is so thrilled to hear about their progress their, their steadfastness, they uses this word. He, they, they brought us, they published the glad tidings to us of your faith and love. And listen to this. He's reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Now, it's very interesting that he's, he's almost bringing those two things together. That you're doing well in faith, you're doing well in lo love, and you think kindly of us and want to be with us. There's something about spiritual health that, that generates within our hearts a love for the saints, a love for the people of God, a love for other Christians, no matter how different to us they are, no matter where they've come from, no matter different age, different personality, um, different part of the world, no matter that, there's something in, the, in, 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 a, in a godly heart which loves being with other Christians. So it's important, if you don't, to ask yourself, why? In fact, in, in, in the Apostle John's first epistle, he goes as far as to say, you know, we know we've been born of God if we love the brothers. We know, he, he actually conflates, puts the two together. We know we've genuinely been born again when we love the brothers, when we have that love for God's people. There is so much that endangers and threatens the, the love in the believer's heart for the church. So much. 
I would say that in my experience, speaking about spiritual warfare, it is one of the most active areas, uh, enemy activity, is the desire to make um, believers doubt, question, suspect, be offended by other believers, particularly those in their own church. Why? To create distance, mistrust, um, uh, essentially get moved towards isolation. Then once you're isolated, you get picked off. Okay, that's how it goes. It's really serious. It's uh, I, you know I've been in pastoral ministry of some of some kind now for how many years? About 26 years. I've seen it time and time again. People get offended. They don't say anything. People get sinned against. They don't say anything. Store up a bit of resentment. Don't say anything. When Jesus the whole time is saying, speak the truth in love. Jesus the whole time is saying, if someone sins against you, do what? No, talk to them. Tell them. Before you forgive, tell them. You want it to end in forgiveness and reconciliation. But the first thing you do is you go to them and you say, you know, you did that. It really hurt. Can we talk about it? 90% of Christians don't do it. They're too busy being nice. And then what happens is you get these, these things. People move apart. You see it. It's invisible. It's an amazing thing. You can have, to the, to the seen eye, everyone's in the same room praising the Lord. But there's an unseen reality, right? There is an unseen reality which is eternal and which is real, realer than the seen, if you like. And I just sometimes wonder, if, if, if God could open our eyes to see the unseen, sometimes you would see a fence between that person, that person, distance there, that person sitting over that side, that over that side, not coincidentally. Stuff that's not getting sorted, stuff that's not getting sorted. All of that works in the spiritual realm against unity, the blessing that flows from unity, rich relationships, rich experience of fellowship, and it works towards growing disillusionment with church and distance and all of that. And then you find people, just they still come, but their heart's distant. It goes on all the time. And it's nothing like this. Although... The, the Bible is full of relational difficulties. So don't hear what I'm not saying there. But we find quite a robust culture of people, at least see, being exalted to, like I'm doing now, to talk, to sort things out, to find harmony, to find a way through. Because it's absolutely massive for the testimony of the gospel. I mean, look at some of the phrases here. It's extraordinary in this passage. We live if you stand firm. Because you're standing fast in the faith, we live. That's extraordinary. It's, it's, it's like our whole sense of being okay is tied up in your spiritual well-being. Longing for one another. Strengthening what's lacking in your faith. Praying night and day for you. Joy as we pray and give thanks for you. Love for one another abounding. This, this, is the, this is the heart of Christ coming through the apostle. This is the apostolic heart. It's that, it's that longing and passion and desire for one another. And all of this stuff, it all springs from the cross. It springs from the gospel. Why? Because in Christ, a new humanity has begun. The, the, the original humanity broken 
at the Garden of Eden and spinning out from there, spinning away from God, spinning away from one another, even in and of ourselves, spinning away from ourselves, dislocated within ourselves, broken, all as a result of the fall, the epicenter, that mistrust of God, that disobedience, and the whole thing spins out. Humanity under Adam, broken, divided. We're experts at dividing, aren't we? Experts at it. And then along comes the second Adam, Jesus. Here he is. It goes to the cross because such is the brokenness of the situation. It is so messed up that only the, only the horror of what he went through, absorbing all of the darkness of that and everything, all the things we read in the news, all of that, all the things we've been reading in the news in the last 24 hours, awful things we've read and heard about. He takes it all in himself on the cross, absorbs it willingly and deals with it and overcomes it and breaks out of the tomb, resurrected head of a new humanity and welcomes us into that. Isn't that an extraordinary thing? I don't know that I would have done it that way. His way is best, rest assured. But it's an extraordinary thing that he would open this up to us and say, I'm going to build a family. And I'm not going to give up on the church, as crazy as she sometimes is. I'm not going to give up on her. I'm going to keep wooing her with my love, keep showing her all that she could be. Why, why is it our vision to, why do you want to be 300 big people? Why? <laughs> why? Well, because once upon a time, I was outside of the fold. And I got saved, and I got welcomed into a family, and it was life-changing. Do you know that? I have, I have had brothers and sisters and mums and dads in Jesus for the last 30 years that have completely changed my life. Completely reordered how I operate relationally. I was a broken, broken guy. Really broken guy. I'll give you one example just to demonstrate how broken I was. I, I um, As a fairly new believer, I started going out with one of the pastor's daughters. Um, and, uh, but I refused to go in her house. Why? Because I was terrified of her dad. Why? Because growing up, dad equals fear. Dad comes in. <gasps> well, you don't know what's going to happen, right? So I was terrified. After a while, I got over that fear. I'd go into the house and then a few months later, and then he started to sort of father me in the Lord. And he said, he, said, he said, I noticed that when I walk in, you literally stiffen up in your chair. Didn't know. I didn't know I did. I said, well, yes, I certainly feel, certainly, you know, when I hear the door go. <gasps> and he, he, he fathered me, fathered me through, you know, through that. I remember once going around there, it been an awful day. I used to suffer with such horrific, oppressive, heavy, like awful stuff. Been at work. Um, for the day, I went around the house and I was just, you know, it's all there. And I, how are you doing? I just burst out, burst out crying, just in bits. And he gave me a hug and he didn't stop. And it was the weirdest, most uncomfortable, one of the most healing things that God's ever done in my life. Just the sincerity, the authenticity of it, the love. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's the family of God. It's the 
family of God. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. There are people that are currently outside of Christ. I mean, let's just think about it for a moment. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have the most perfect relationship from all eternity. They have opened the doors to us. How can we not open the door to others? How can, how can we get resentful when new people come along because we won't know everyone or I don't know or um, I don't, I, you might have to share your friends. Well, let's just think about the gospel for a moment and allow our attitudes to be shaped by that, not by our own petty little things that we all have and all struggle with. You see, that's why we, we feel God's spoken to us about Gideon's army and that, inv- that involves Drawing people into that. You know, why, why do we want to plant churches around London? Because God's put us here, and so we want to love the city. Amen? Amen. You remember jo- Jonah didn't go to Nineveh? No. Don't want to go to Nineveh. Don't, don't want to do that. Finally goes, preaches, old place, repents, extraordinary, you know. They still, then, he, then he gets a mood, gets a mood, old jo- uh, Jonah. Any of you moody types out there? Right? Read Jonah, make you feel better about yourself. Right? He's having a mood. Gets this, God gives him a little plant, gets some shade under it, and then God ordains a worm to eat the plant. He has another sulk. And God says to him, have you, have you got any right to pity, to have sort of a compassion for your plant? And he's like, yeah. And then God says, well, what about, what about I should have compassion for a city of 120,000 people? Oh, yeah. It's caught up in my little plant. There's a city out there full of, full of the kind of sadness and brokenness that many of us have never experienced or not for many years. That's why we want to do this. That's why we do this. That's why. Why do we, why do we want to resource the wider body of Jesus? Because God's given us some amazing gifts in this church and we want to see other churches flourish. Amen? We don't want to see them shrivel up and die. We don't want to see him limp along. We want to see him run and go from strength to strength because, because there, are, there are people, God's people. Why do we want to plant into the, to the nations? Because Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth. Amen. There's much, there's much treasure spiritually there for us. We want to be a part of that. Why are we part of a wider family? Well, because if you just look at what's going on in the Bible here, Paul's writing from Athens where he's just planting a church and he's writing back to Thessalonica and he's sending Timothy and there's this interaction all through the New Testament of churches partnering with one another in the gospel, connected to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. That's how it was. That's how it worked. It's not little churches just doing their own thing. That's not it. It's partnership. Sharing of one another, enriching relationships. That's why when Paul writes to the Romans, he's never been there, but he greets, I think it's 27 people by name at the end of the letter. Why? Because they've all been ministering together across the Mediterranean, proclaiming Jesus together. They're caught up in it together. They're caught up in something bigger than themselves. They've been liberated from a selfish life. They've been liberated from just doing their own thing. Dare I say it, they've been liberated from just me and Jesus. I know. It was a radical thing to say, but I just said it. Because it's not just me and Jesus. We've been brought into a family. We love each other, care about each other, learn how to love one another well, learn how to get through bumps in the road. You hit bumps, you join this church, you hit bumps in the road. Why? Because it's not about attending something on a Sunday and then leaving again. It's about, it's about body of Christ. 
which is why the Bible is full of bear with one another, forgive one another. It's just all part, it's just all part of it. It's all part of it. It, 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 it. It's hard, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And that's why we encourage people to, to, to knit together, to throw themselves in, and not to be afraid. I'm going to come into land now. The richest things that we have in life are relationships. Am I right? And it's why sometimes they're the most painful. Because <laughs> when they don't work out, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And all of us have areas where I'm sure relationally, you know, we've got challenges in our life. Inside the church, outside the church, you know, wider family. Family sometimes is brutal, isn't it? I, I get it. Um, but, but when they work, oh my goodness, the, 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 the richest of memories What's your, first, what's your best memory in life? Your first and best. My first and best memory is going down the stairs on a mattress with my sister and my dad. It's my earliest memory I've got. What a great memory. What a great memory. The other guy I referred to earlier was my stepdad, so there was a different relationship there. But yeah, going down the stairs, it's a great memory. It's fun, it's screaming, it's laughing, it's with other people, it's rich. It's beautiful. Relationship with God. If you're here today and you're saying, why, why does God want me to become a Christian? The simple answer is this. He wants a relationship with you. How about that? <laughs> he actually wants a relationship with you. Like a real relationship with you. And you might think, what does that look like? Well, until you know him, it's really hard to explain. But once you know him, it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> because once you know him, you've been introduced to him through the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Jesus, you're born again. You then know God. So when you pray, you're not groping around in the dark. You know who you're talking to. When I got saved, I used to live opposite this big field. And um, I used to go over that field with my friends on stolen motorbikes and smoking weed and all of that. So we used to go over that field. I got saved. I used to go over there and talk with Jesus. And I'd do laps of that field, just pouring my heart out. I knew him. It's a relationship with him. Most wonderful and precious thing. And the second thing is relationships with one another. Because our calling in life is to love him and love our neighbor. Amen. And in that we experience, we know the love of God in our hearts. We learn to receive love from others and our lives are deeply and powerfully enriched. And so I want to say this. Throw yourself in. Whatever community, you might be here visiting, you're part of another church. Whatever community God has put you in, throw yourself in. Because you get out what you put in. And sometimes you have to front load it. There's a lot of investment that goes on early, 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 early days before it comes back. But just throw, as an act of faith, throw yourself in. Trust that the Lord will honour that one way or the other. It's not always straightforward, but trust that he will honour that.